This is the Cherryleaf Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to follow up on something we've talked about in previous episodes, and that is about creating a developer portal using a mainstream help authoring tool, that being Madcap Flare. And for a while now, we've been looking at different ways to import API or what's known as Swagger reference content into popular tools like Madcap Flare so that you can take advantage of the robustness and the ability to automate some of the production and operational side of creating end user content. And we found some time recently to look at Flare 2021 and its new capability of importing markdown files to see if we could use that as a way of importing the OpenAPI reference content that can be created when a team is developing an API, a REST API, and how easy it is to do that. So we did some experiments and we posted up a video on how to do it onto YouTube. And we were quite surprised by the response that we got, very positive. And we were approached by Madcap to see if we could write an article for their blog on what we'd done. So I thought it would be good to talk about this, to go through the article that we've written and add some extra information as we go along. Some of the feedback we got from the video suggested we needed to explain things from first principles. So let's start off with explaining what is an API or a REST API. The easiest way to explain it really is that it's a mechanism for different software applications to share data automatically, that is without human intervention, with each other over the internet, so using web technologies. And this is the way in which you can have an application that runs in a GP practice, a family doctor practice, and have an application in a hospital and have the two share patient information that when you go to visit the family doctor, they can log on, see when a consultant is free and schedule an appointment, a consultation with a consultant at a hospital. It's the way that when you go onto a website and order something, it can provide you with information on the status of your delivery from a parcel provider such as DHL or the Royal Mail or US Postal Services. And you can see sometimes on their website information that's being drawn from these logistics companies on stating where your order is in the system. And it's also the way we see with mobile applications that you can have apps that can summarize all the information of your savings across lots of different bank accounts into graphs or look at your expenditure and provide advice. The most popular way for creating APIs these days is to create what are called REST APIs. And there are different ways to create an API, but a lot of companies 
are developing them, starting off by creating a specification file, what's called the Open API or Swagger specification file. So that's done by developers and generally technical communicators don't get involved in defining or developing the specification file themselves. But it's good to know what it is, what it looks like, what it does and how it can create some of the documentation that you might need to put on to a developer portal. So the Swagger file or the OpenAPI specification file defines the types of data resources that will be made available via the API. So it can be for a GP system that the information that will be made available is the patient's first name and the patient's family name. And the file also specifies for each of those different bits of data, their location. They have the equivalent of a web page address. To get the first name or the last name or the address of somebody, you make a request to what's called a URI, which is like a web address. And the OpenAPI specification file also defines what formats it accepts in terms of requesting information or adding information via the API. So the Swagger file itself looks in some ways a bit like an address book. If you're not a programmer, it's fairly easy to understand what's going on because you have the names of the different bits of data like first name and last name. You have the location, which is like a web address. You have a summary of what this information is. So it's like the last name of a patient. It will also contain information on things like what information you'll get back, what format, whether it's in XML format or JSON format, and what responses you're likely to get when you make a request or if you try to add information in terms of a response that your attempt has been successful or if it's not been successful. And if it's not been successful, some more information on why it's not been successful. Creating that open API specification file can be done in a text editor. It can be done in a specialist tool like Stoplight, and it can be done using a tool called the Swagger Editor. Now the Swagger Editor is one of the ways in which you can do it, in which when you create this specification file, the application, the editor, the Swagger Editor can also generate the code that the developers need to add into the application to make that API functionality available. So that's a very short description of APIs, how they're created and what this thing called the Swagger file is about. So let's talk about documentation and APIs. Documentation, when it comes to APIs, are very important because a developer can't use an API unless they know what data resources it provides and it can't access those resources if it doesn't know where they are, doesn't know the location of those. And because APIs are often about sending and transmitting confidential information that you don't want everybody to see, in addition to that basic reference information about what data can be provided and where it is, there's also information that developers need to know. Developers that would be using this API or calling to this API would need to know is about making their requests in a way that the API knows that they're authorized and accredited to access that information. So there's also a 
some activities around authentication and authorization. And often with APIs, you will have to sign up first, get permission to use the API, and you'll be sent a key or a way of identifying it's you that's requesting this information and that you include that with your requests and so that the information is provided to you and only you with your particular ID. So there's information that needs to be provided about signing up, making the requests in a, as it were, authorized or confidential way and understanding how they send that authorization information with their requests. And at a more general level, potential users of the API, and that can be also product managers that decide that, yes, we want to use a company's API. Lots of these APIs are commercial. They want to pay for them. Well, that wider audience needs to understand what the API does, what problem it solves, why you'd use it, when you'd use it, and other information like how much does it cost to use it, or if you're using it free of charge, what are the restrictions on how much information you can exchange. Now, some of that writing can be done automatically. That Swagger editor I mentioned earlier that's used for defining the API and some other applications that do a similar activity can generate from that specification file a web page that defines all the reference information, describes those methods, those data resources, defines the locations and the acceptable inputs, the responses that you'll get back. But that is purely reference information, resources and their locations. It's not providing the other information that potential users would want, that you would desire to have on a developer portal. That information such as how to register, how to set up authentication. And so as a result, what you often see on developer portals is some information that's been generated from the Swagger file automatically. And that looks like one set of web pages. And then there might be some PDFs or some converted pages or some WordPress pages or Confluence pages about signing up and the authentication. And then some other pages or other information about what the product does, why you'd use it. And it can end up with a real mess of different look and feels. Not a unified experience, very disjointed. Overlapping information, content in multiple places. So this is why we have been looking at whether tools like Flare can be used for this type of content because Flare has the capability and other help authoring tools have the capability of single sourcing, writing content once and then having it in different places, which makes the whole process of maintenance a lot easier. So you can have all of your information in one pot as it were, and then have it published as a website, as a developer portal. And if you've got lots of APIs and you've got different versions of the same API, if you want to localize, then you have a big management of content and operational challenge of keeping it all up to date and consistent and to be able to create this information in a way that doesn't take forever, particularly if you're trying to localize the content.
So the promise with a tool like Flare is you have consistent content that looks good, that's searchable, that can be updated easily. Over the past few years, we've been looking at how you can do that with Flare. And I went to Mad World Europe conference and I presented on this back, I think in, I think 2018. And that was using the process of taking HTML files that had been generated from the Swagger editor and importing those into Flare. And that's still a way that you can go for bringing in the content into Flare and then writing all the additional content about what it does, getting started, authentication, all the stuff that has to be written manually. And we also created a YouTube video on how we did that. And I can provide a link in the show notes to that video. With Flare 2021, we also have the option of importing markdown files into our project. So our tool chain can be that we convert our Swagger file into a file in the markdown format and then import that into our project. Now, the reason for doing that is that it may be easier to import and cause fewer challenges with conflicts or issues around cascading style sheets from the HTML that we import or JavaScript that might come in with the HTML that we import into our Flare project and the JavaScript and cascading style sheets that Flare uses to generate its web pages. Now the open API specification file is stored as either a JSON format or a YAML format. So if we're going to bring in the markdown file into Flare, what we have to do before we can do that is take that Swagger file and convert that into being the markdown format. So there are a range of different utilities and applications that can take open API JSON files, YAML files, and convert them into markdown. We tested a number of them. Some added in little BR tag, line break tags into the markdown files. And if you try to bring in those into Flare, you'll see errors because Flare is expecting markdown and not any HTML code within the markdown page. One utility we found that works quite well was called OA3-MD. And this is an NPM utility. You install NPM onto your machine and then you install OA3 within that environment and you can run it. And this is a command line utility. So you go to your prompt and at the command line, you command that the OA3MD program runs and you tell it which file you want it to convert into markdown format. So that's a step that you have to do. And then you have your markdown file. And in the video that we have on YouTube, we then show you how you can import a markdown file into Madcap Flare. If you're not familiar with Flare, there's an option under project for new file, and you can import content from outside of Flare HTML files, Word documents, FrameMaker documents. And now there's an option for markdown files. So we imported the markdown file into our project. We added it to the table of contents for the information that's going to be generated from Flare and hit publish. What it created was a web page with this reference content that had come from the OpenAPI specification file and then 
the other pages that were within the template that Flare provided. So there was a introductory page and a systems requirement page and some other blank placeholder pages. Now, what we found was that if the table of contents and navigation was on the left, it came across very easily. If you have your navigation on the top bar and you select one of the HTML5 templates that Flare provides where that navigation is on the top bar, there can be some conflicts and you will probably need to go into that template and amend the CSS to get it to how you like it to be. So if you look at these YouTube videos, you'll see how it can be done. There's one video on how it can be done importing HTML and then this most recent video, which is an eight minute video, which goes through how it can be done by importing markdown files. So this leads to the question, which way is better? Well, there's one extra step with the markdown approach. You have to convert to markdown before you can import it. However, there are some potential issues when you're importing the HTML with the HTML file that you're importing having JavaScript and CSS information and the Flare template having JavaScript and CSS and the two disagreeing with each other or trying to do the same thing. You'll probably get faster results by just bringing in the markdown. Of course, once you've resolved any HTML conflicts and you make sure that the file that you're importing doesn't have those bits of CSS or JavaScript that are conflicting, then the HTML file approach will work in an acceptable way. There's another benefit for doing this and for using Flare, and that is related to what's called doc ops or content ops, which is really a way of describing how you can automate the process. If somebody in the development team makes a change to the open API specification file, can that change automatically appear on the developer portal? If they add a new method, resource, change an endpoint, can we automate the process for that change to be seen in documentation without it needing a technical author to go in and change those? Because if there are lots of changes going on on a frequent basis, that can take up time for somebody. So this a process of testing and deployment is sometimes known as CI slash CD, continuous integration and continuous deployment. And Flare, and I think RoboHelp has as well, has some automation features that can help out in this situation. When using the importing of the HTML or the markdown files, Within Flare, there's an option to keep a connection between the original file that you're importing and the files that have gone into or the topics that have been created within Flare. So that means that you are not using Flare for doing any editing of those files. The editing can be done externally. And Flare will recognize when those changes have been made to the source documents and it will ask you if you want to re-import the documents so that they take on board the changes that have been made. This is called auto re-import before generate output. And Flare also has something that is 
also useful in this scenario, and that is that you can publish your HTML without having to open Flare. You can do it from the command line. And so you can set up a script to build all of the different outputs that you want, multiple targets or single targets or in batches, so that if you wanted, if things are changing with these external files every day, you can have a command line batch script set up that there will be a build of the generated output every day as well, say at 11 o'clock. Somebody could be changing that specification file that Flare is referencing and using in its project. And when it builds, it will build each night a new version of the developer portal, the web pages, and incorporate those changes. And in the article that's going on to the Madcap blog, we've provided some links to articles on how you can use those features. So that's essentially what the blog post and the videos cover. Where time allows, we will continue to look at ways in which this can be done for creating developer portals, automating a number of these different processes and bringing these files into tools where you can do the more complex activities that can happen with lots of different versions, lots of different APIs, different languages. And we'll also be doing, as we have, consultancy work for clients that want assistance in doing this. If you're not familiar with Cherryleaf, we have a technical writing team and we also have consultancy services linked to that where we provide advice to companies. Something else I should mention is if you're new to APIs and if you're new to API documentation writing, we have an e-learning course, which is part of our Intermediate Advanced Technical Writing Course Bundle. And that goes through more information about APIs and also how to create the content, what type of content should go onto a developer portal, structuring the information and the like. And if you go to the Cherryleaf website, you'll find links under the training section to that particular course. So that is it. That is what's going to be in the article. That's what is in the new YouTube video. So if you have an interest in these topics, then do take a look at those. As I said, we'll include links to those in the show notes. That's it for this week. We'll speak soon, I hope.